In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by Abby, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at LLS.org slash Big Climb. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 101. It is June 4th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Uh, you know, we have a lot to talk about again on this episode. Uh, I think what what we talked about on Tuesday and and what we're focused on, I think, is just as a as a whole, as a country right now, is kind of what do we do now? Conversations are happening Conversations that weren't happening even a week ago, uh, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, and I, I think what we're starting to see, and, and what you saw from some of the exchanges after the episode uh, went out on Tuesday, was that you had people pushing back uh, with data, no less, trying to uh, dismantle uh, the points we were making throughout the episode. Um. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell intent. I mean, I think in one case, um, because of some of the other tweets they shared with me, yes, it was uh, it was uh, a different kind of interaction, one that I did not find pleasant. Um, and it also, I think, uh, pointed to the fact that statistics can be used to lie. Uh, I think just straight up lie. Uh, one was. Uh, trying to point out to me that um, blacks are responsible for more of uh, more interracial violence or most of the interracial violence. And I, I just, um, I, <laughs> I had to point out that, that if there was no race effect at all, uh, math straight, just numbers and the way that population, like the way size works, you would expect that whites would be the victim of most interracial crimes <laughs> i mean right. they are the largest group <laughs> if you remove white on white crime and black on black crime uh then what's going to happen the t- the largest group is going to be the victim of the crime so uh i and, and and i'm sure you've seen some of those memes being posted um about uh crime that kind of a lot of times just straight up uh, misrepresents what's the the, the truth you know, um, and, and does it to kind of uh, paint a picture uh, uh, that kind of blames black people for their for their their spot in life. And then there are other times when it's not as clear uh, what's happening because uh, there can be good faith uh, research uh, that's trying to kind of uncover um, some of the sources of uh you know these other crime, these other statistics that we were pointing out about uh, how black people are treated in America, and like 
For example, one is that, um, you know, if you account for fatherlessness, um, to some extent, the, the poverty divide goes away. Um, the problem is I've seen that before. I've seen that result before. I've seen that study before. And it, and it has often been shared in a, in a racist manner, saying it's basically black people's fault for, for not being fathers. And I reject that uh, premise and I reject that notion. Um, but however, um, I did not reject the sender immediately. We had a little bit further conversation about it. And they used it as a springboard to talk about um, trying to work on crime and racial disparity as a kind of a public health crisis and working in communities to break the cycle by offering mentorship, um, by de-escalation uh, of uh, conflicts, um, uh, you know, promoting um, scholarship, you know, the, like a different kind of approach than policing the police. Um, and that resonated with me a little bit. And so what uh, that can be a positive that can happen too is as long as the data is okay and you're not misusing the results of the data, uh, it can maybe further the conversation. Like, for example, I know that Cleveland is about to declare racism a public health crisis. And I know that some people kind of backpedal, oh my God, you know, everything's racist and why is that R word used so much and what are you talking about with public health? And uh, I understand that, but at the same time, what that does is allow them to use public health tactics to uh, attack the problem of racism. And so we're already seeing that there are people doing this and they're being effective doing it. I, I personally think there's enough, you know, in the data when it comes to uh, police data that we also have to do the police bit. I mean, is that's, you know, to some extent, that's what you're seeing as well, right? Yes. One of the links I shared on Tuesday was from joincampaignzero.org. Uh, and there's a few different types of campaign zeros out there, by the way. So just make sure that you actually go to that URL to get to the page and the site that I'm referring to. Um, and it really... I think what you find as you spend time on the campaign zero site, it's going to be a multifaceted solution and it does involve changing the way policing happens in many, many ways. They have a, a 10 step outline of 10 categories uh, and broken windows, policing community oversight, limit the use of force, independently investigate and prosecute, have community representation, body cams, training, and for-profit policing, demilitarization, uh, fair police union contracts. I mean, that's, that's a multifaceted problem, and that's just one problem. And we, we're looking at an entire range of things that need to be addressed. And uh, to sit back and, and to say that fixing any one part of this is going to solve the entire scope of racial injustice is silly it's just it's, it's not that easy it never has been and never will be um, so you can make donations there and you can uh, also find a lot of helpful links to just to take some direct action you can find out who your local representatives are and you can do that on a state level and go ahead and follow through and uh, reach out to your representatives that's extremely important 
to actually institute change at the level where laws are made. Yeah, and I think one of the things that ends up being a diffuser of energy when it comes to things like this is uh, fracturing kind of a dis- disagreements like the one I was having with the, the person sharing with me um, the thing about fatherlessness. Fatherlessness That could have easily turned into a shouting match um, where two people that wanted to do some good uh, disagreed so vehemently about how to do that good that they no longer uh, listened to each other. Um, and then on top of that, even uh, people who are more closely aligned, like, for example, um, we've got a, a group of, I mean, we're 20 plus strong now, uh, writers trying to help promote diversity within the ranks of sports writing, fantasy sports writing in particular, but just sports writing in general. And we're having a conversation and it's difficult for us to find a focus um you know, and we keep adding things that we want to do. Um, it's kind of like that chicken and egg thing I was talking about earlier. It's like, where, you know, where, 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 where do we do? And I guess my advice is um, just try to remember this week and whatever it is that you settle on, try to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like, there, there's times when I would have seen a thread like this that we're on, that we're talking and we're trying to figure something out. And I would have been like, oh, God, just wake me up when it's over. You know, like this just everyone's got an idea and it's going off in three different three million different ways. And just I don't you know, part of me is just like I can't handle it, you know, um, but I'm sticking with it and I'm going to try to stick with it this time. And I keep trying to. Um, concretize the conversation and uh, bring us to some form of action uh, just because that's how I'm built. Um, But um, you don't necessarily have to be uh, that type of organizer. You can pick something that's more fully formed and support it. Um, And there are these public health initiatives um, that uh, you can support at the risk of of sharing something that uh, I haven't vetted completely, um, but it looks like they've done some good in Chicago and other places. Um, there is a group. Uh, there is a group that has done a bunch of uh, a good work that was profiled in the Washington Post um, called Cure Violence. Uh, the organization takes a public health-based approach to violence, um, sending trained counselors, uh, former, sometimes former gang members, to intervene in disputes, um, provide mentorship, um, and other other things like that. Uh, reduce violence through the application of public health methods. So, um, you know, if that's your bag, that's your bag. I think that it looks like they have um, they have done some good. Um, but my point is, um, let's try to promote diversity wherever we can. Let's try to uh, help um, people that need help. And it's not just, I mean, the, right now it's all about how black lives matter. But, you know, for me, that's an all-encompassing phrase. Um, it means black writers matter. It means women writers matter. Uh, it means all people of color uh, matter. It means 
that we need to do our best to um, support the people around us. Yeah, and I think step one, as these conversations have started, the realization for a lot of us is that we need to listen. We need to understand perspectives that are just different than our own because it's so easy. It's been so easy for so long to go through life not hearing those perspectives, not hearing those voices, not seeing the world through different eyes. And one thing that you touched on that I I really want to hammer home is no matter what your decision is to try and help solve the problems of racial injustice, no matter what you do, you have to follow through on it. We all do. That's That's going to be the challenge for everybody. This is the thing we're focusing on right now. We can't stop focusing on it when life as we used to know it begins its ascent, its move back to normal. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to uh, to have two ideas uh, in your head at the same time, which is, you know, like, um, I'm going to enjoy this baseball season when it happens, this fantasy baseball season. And I'm also going to remember these negative things that happened or these, these negative things that happen all around us and try to do something about them. I mean, it's, uh, it's difficult in podcast form. Uh, it is difficult, uh, for all of us, but, um, you know, and I, I don't know if it is, you know, I personally have, uh, sort of looked internally and thought about whether or not, um, I will continue to do my job in the future and um, if this is the best way I can help and um, you know what baseball will look like going forward and what fantasy baseball will look like going forward and um, you know just you, the th- kind of question I think we're all doing of almost everything around us um, uh, and um, uh, you know, I've seen it from others. Um, a couple of people in my fantasy leagues uh, have preemptively decided that they will not uh, participate um, in fantasy baseball this year, even if there's a season. Uh, because, and I don't know, they, they wanted to take uh, a year off to refocus and uh, maybe rediscover the passion. And, um, you know, and then there are other people who are taking the year off. Uh, for different reasons, um, you know, at the top of, you know, the fantasy food chain in terms of the highest stakes leagues, uh, there are a fair amount of people saying that they will not participate in a 50 game season. Um, and, and there's some risk of that because right now the, the tenor of the discussions between major league baseball and the, and the players, the owners and the players has um, has changed and it's become a question of how many games. So instead of haggling about how much money, they're fa- haggling about how many games because that's the same haggle. Um, but I actually, I think it's a misstep by the owners uh, personally because now the owners are on the side of less baseball. And I don't think that's something that fans will get behind. Um, and I think that uh, has made them look worse. So... Uh, it's a weird discussion now to have a, a battle between the players for more baseball and the owners for less baseball. Uh, so I, I kind of think it'll still be, you know, 75, 80 games uh, in the end, maybe with some deferred salary. 
but if it was 50 games, would you, is there a limit on how much uh, money you throw down on, let's say, I don't want to, that's can kind of be a personal uh, question in terms of what exactly the dollar amount is, but let's say you would give 100% of an entry fee for a league in a 162 game season, what percentage would you give for a 50 game season? I'm probably closer to 25% of what I would normally wow. do. Um, it's down that much. I, I think we we know enough about what happens over 50-game stretches to realize that a, a lot of what separates us as, as analysts over 162 mm-hmm. won't necessarily separate us over 50. And uh, you know, it, can, it, can it still be fun? Yeah, of course. Um, but do you play at the top end of your typical entry level. I, I certainly don't think it's a good idea. Um, yeah. I think back to TGFBI and um, my local bar league last year, where I started out the first month pretty terribly in both um, and ended the season. Um, I think like fourth in both fourth or fifth, something like that. Um, which, I mean, that's not something to crow about, but it's like, you know, uh, obviously my draft was more on the, you know, 12th level and I, and I, you know, I worked my way up, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, and generally as much as, uh, people may want to point to me as someone who's not good at, at fantasy cause I haven't had a lot of wins. I do not end up in the bottom. Um, and you know, it's 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 hard work. It's knowing uh, which are the best players to pick up and 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 having some. And I actually don't think that my FAB strategy is is um, as good as a lot of other people's. Maybe that's what's keeping me from winning. Um, but my point is that you know there is that six month marathon that does get closer to skill than luck. Um, and I, I'd hate. F- for my $350 NFBC team uh, to just start out poorly and end up 12th and be more uh, fodder for the people who want to say that I'm a bad player. (laughs) Well, yeah, but see, it's kind of funny because if your team gets hot and wins in a 50-game season, are are you you going to, in your head, tear yourself down and say, actually, you know, I just got lucky. You're just going to feel good about winning, right? At least I would, e- even though I know that's not true. Like my first instinct would be like, "All right, it worked out." Like, I'd... should we demand refunds from N- the NFBC if there's a 50 game season? <sighs> I, I don't I mean, think those so. Those are drafted. But those, yeah. I, the, the, I mean, these these are they're questions that have been coming in for a while, and we still don't know. Uh, at the end of the day, if I understand what's been reported, the commissioner can unilaterally decide on a 50-game season, right? That That is actually I think a decision he can make. We just don't know if he will make that decision. It's something I've been pointing to, that, that legally the last agreement that was made is the March agreement. So if there is no new agreement, then the March agreement is the standing agreement. Um, and in that agreement, it says that the commissioner... Uh, can set the schedule. However, it says he can set the schedule in order to play as many games as are feasible or possible. I forget exact the exact wording. And now, now it becomes a question of what's possible or what's feasible, right? And the owners mm-hmm. say, well, we can't afford more games than 50. 
Hmm. Maybe they shouldn't be in the business of owning baseball teams then. <laughs> Zing. I mean, like seriously, like if, if yeah. they if they can't afford it, why why are they owners of these teams? Yeah, um, it's an interesting thing. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think that the uh, that's why I'm a little surprised uh, the owners have seemingly pushed aside defer, deferred money as not being valuable to them. But um, the point the point is that they you know maybe teams are a long term investment and you buy it for a hundred million, you sell it for a billion, whatever it is, and maybe they don't make much more than. You know, I have been poking around in front offices trying to get some sense of how much each team makes. And maybe they only make on the order of five, 10, 15 million a year, uh, which, which mean, would mean that they wouldn't actually have a ton of cash um, set aside, you know, free cash uh, from year to year. And, and I'm talking about the average team, not necessarily the Yankees or the Red Sox and so on. And um, so maybe they don't have a lot of cash now. So why don't the players say, okay? You know, uh, we'll defer ten percent of our salaries for the future, so that you don't have to come up with that cash now. You know, you obviously have a ton of equity. You know what I mean? Like these are these are billion dollar companies. You obviously have a ton of equity, so we'll let you give like give you time to to come up with the equity to pay us. Um, it seems like a good way out for me. Eighty games, ten percent deferrals. I don't know. It seems possible still in the context of their conversations, but uh, of course they're floating this fifty and forty game nonsense to um, try and put uh, the fear of God in the players. I guess. Yeah, here's the thing that, at least in the the way things are playing out, as reported on the public side, I come away with this impression that the owners are significantly underestimating their ability to actually ruin the game. Like that is within the range of outcomes for them with a very shortened season or no season at all and the extremely high values of their franchises might not be quite so high. Yeah. If, we're, if we're talking about a league that falls below it's obviously already below the NFL, I think it's below the NBA, but if it falls closer to the popularity of, say, the NHL in North America, I, are the franchise values going to be quite as inflated and pumped up as they are right now? I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, their equity depends on the players, and it depends on the game playing. And we saw that the NFL draft had the largest, uh, the best ratings ever last year. And uh, this year, during the crisis, and, and it felt it like real... last year. To be honest, huh? it felt like it was a year ago already. Yeah, to be sorry. Honest. Yeah, everything's time is every day is at least you know is either twenty minutes or you know twenty days. Uh, the, uh, the the NFL draft had great ratings. My point is, there's a thirst. Uh, kids are home. My kids, most of their camps are canceled. I think all of them are canceled. Uh, if they came to me and said, my screen time is up today, but there's baseball on, do you want to watch a game with me? I'd say, you know, a couple curse words, yeah. <laughs> um, and You'd have a, a different small problem to uh, address yeah, from a parenting I, perspective, but it'd be a trade-off, I think, you I taught would make at this point. I five-year-old the word turd today before his... Um, <laughs> he's at, he has one of those poop emoji hats, 
and I, oh, and I called him a turd. Geez. And he goes, no, you're a turd. And he goes, Dad, what's a turd? <laughs> and I taught him this right before I put him on a Zoom call with his class. So I, I'm 100% sure he's going to mention the word turd to his teacher. Then I had to put him in timeout and picked him up and threw my back out. So I have one question for you. And I've asked you this before. Why is 2020? It just is. Because <laughs> we need just, a nadir, right? <laughs> it just is. Um, oh, my God. But, yeah, I, you know, there's this opportunity to um, climb climb closer. Because I think uh, the for the NBA, it's a bit of an a unfortunate timing. Hey, it's, it's unfortunate for everybody. It's just terrible. You know, when is, when is good timing for a pandemic? But I just mean in the course of a season, they were right at the postseason, So they're having all these discussions about how to start back up again. And I think it'll be a little bit weird to kind of just jump into the postseason and be like, Oh wait, um, who's on the Lakers again, you know, and like kind of try to remember the postseason. Like there's something that uh, a real great uh, championship run, like the nationals run was pretty exciting. And the reason it was exciting is they went 19 and 31 at first. Right. And then they went on a tear and they just sort of tore through the postseason. And that championship matters because of the World Series, but it also matters because of April and it matters all the way through. I think there'll be this disjoint, disjointment in the, in the a disjointed quality for the NBA season where you'll be like, uh, I don't even remember how good the Lakers were at the end of the season. Or, you know, I don't even remember. Um, you know, nobody knows who's on the Warriors right now anyway, but like, you know, like, like there would be like a, a weird disjointment. So there, I think there would be uh, a little bit of a chance to sort of pull some NBA fans away um, and and um, have them have a narrative that starts, you know, a start, a narrative that has a start and an end possibly. And so, you know, gather some Cleveland fans um, and get them in there at the beginning and see if Cleveland can't run all the way to the end, that sort of deal. Um, so, you know, that's why football, for example, football has seen the least pain so far out of any of the sports uh, because they had their draft as regularly scheduled. They have not pushed anything off. So people who are fans of football teams can follow along and still have the normal narrative. Oh, my team signed this person, signed this person, signed this person. We're going to be good this year. Camps are starting up. They'll probably play games. You know what I mean? There's that like that normalcy of one foot in front of the other. Um, and you'll, you'll see like with us, with like fantasy coverage and stuff, it's been so terrible um, readership wise and, and, and interest and enthusiasm wise, because we lost that, that one foot in front of the other. We lost that, we don't have that. When is day one? You know, I think hopefully we'll 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 refine some of that enthusiasm once they say, okay, July fourth, day one, eighty game season. You know, let's at least uh, tell a story this year. And I have a piece coming out tomorrow about how many different minor leaguers, um, how over around twelve hundred minor leaguers were cut last last week. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting quotes in it about, you know, from players about uh, what it means for them. And one is going to just start a new career, and that's it. His his career is going to end in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the coronavirus. Um, his baseball career is, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sadness. But there were a couple quotes. One was, "I still believe in myself. I know I've been released, but I still believe in myself, and I'm going to keep going." And another one was, um, "There were." 
major leaguers who were released today. There are future major leaguers that were released today uh, from an ex- from an executive. So um, that's something that I find as a hopeful kind of way to maybe tie together a lot of these different things is, um, you know, when it comes to these protests and when it comes to the coronavirus and when it comes to uh, the season we're having, like, hopefully we're going to be here to tell a lot of great stories about things that were born now. You know, children that were born now, but also careers that were born now, new directions that were born now, new initiatives that were born now. Um, you know, Phoenix style, you know, like there's got to be, we're in the ashes, man. I My back is thrown out and you know, last day of school, like it's gonna get worse. I've got to do more. <laughs> oh, see, I, I, I mean, admittedly, as someone who doesn't have children, yeah. I have forgotten that school is still actually happening um, at home, and that you know, you as parents are now uh, doubling as teachers, and that those <laughs> that structure that you've just maybe started to get comfortable with, that's oh, about to go away. God. As much as I hated the Zoom calls, they were, you know. A, a, an hour or so of respite at a time. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think that there's, um, it's it's human being, it's human nature to, to hope uh, without it, um, you know, life is, uh, does not have um, the sizzle. So, you know, I think uh, you can't lose sight of that. Even, um, and even no matter what you th- you uh, however you you sort of see these uh, demonstrations, however you see this virus, however um, you see the response that is needed, I think um, empathy is important and hope is important. It it needs to be a turning point for us. It it has to be, um, and and there are definitely some some small seeds of hope that I've seen in the last few days. I mean, you mentioned uh, the group that uh, we're a part of that was started up by Alex Fast, uh, just hoping to improve, working to improve diversity in fantasy sports coverage. Um, and, and to that end, I don't, I don't think I explicitly said this earlier, I, I'm happy to help anybody who wants help at dvanriper at theathletic.com for emails. Uh, of course, on Twitter at Derek Van Riper, Any, anything I can do just to help, um, I'm more than willing to do it. I, I hope, I hope my door has always been open, but I want to make sure if there's any doubt that it absolutely is. And I don't know if we're going to necessarily codify this like beer of the week and prospect of the week, you know, cause of the week or anything. Um, and I hope it. Um, I hope that you know our sort of data f- uh, forward approach um, allows you uh, the headspace to uh, continue to listen, even if you don't always agree with our our conclusions. Um, but um, and you've always got the rundown to skip it, I guess. But uh, I would like um, for us to, you know, this is unplanned too. Like I'd like for us to. Um, as much as it makes sense, um, and as much as the feedback is still positive, uh, for the large part for us to sometimes delve into current events and not only do, uh, fantasy baseball. I mean, 
it's what was required of us uh, by situation now, but it it could be something that I think uh, could be valuable. And, you know, if we do it with a, a kind of sober mind and a, and a look at the data and the research, um, I think it could be valuable for both sides. I don't know. Um, feel free to, of course, to skip these moments in the rundown. But, um, you know, I think we've we've had a lot of fun, though, over the, uh, the first hundred episodes. I don't want to leave uh, that fun behind. Um, we were talking about some of our... Uh, our best, uh, our, we were kind of trying to reminisce about the first, uh, 99 episodes and, uh, the, for the one that absolutely, uh, comes to mind first, um, was, uh, well, for me, it was just, uh, flipping open the laptop from the winter meetings, uh, just in an utter state of death, just, you know, death warmed up. <laughs> that was I, how you described it yeah. and i tried to like i think i tried to sing something <laughs> Eno, happy winter meetings how's san diego treating you so far i think if you can hear what i sound like uh that's one answer the other answer i would give you is thank god for toast with a sunny side up egg <laughs> I, that's 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 all that, that's all i would like to say about that okay uh, <laughs> we, we leave it at that. that's fine i mean san diego uh, if, if you had to design a city for eno or for me or for, for most people san diego checks a lot of boxes to make oh, people very happy so I, I can see where going into your fourth day in the city with all the things that are happening uh you'd be in, in in less than peak condition but i think this show will be a good one i'm warmed up death and it's my own damn fault i mean i started this thing with a beer crawl we can even have a beer of the week because i yeah. started with the beer we have to have a beer of the week. but oh, we, we're, we're gonna have beer we'll of the week at the end yeah. it's basically gonna be a whole segment for you to talk about the beer crawl yeah, because uh, you experienced a lot of interesting <laughs> beers uh, yeah. along the way so we'll definitely get to that but let's start with garrett cole that was the news that broke let's get to our beer of the week segment which is going to be a bit different this week because you set up a beer crawl to begin the winter meetings on Sunday. It's a great way to kick off the trip. I got to I got to tip the no, cap to you because that's no. brilliant. It was stupid. It's brilliant. It was so stupid. It was the dumbest thing. First of all, I announced to everybody my dereliction that I'm going to be drinking for 7 hours on the Sunday before the winter meetings start. Evan and my editor Evan Span said, uh, "We already knew you were derelict." I've considered putting together an actual clip show. Um, it's, it takes time just to dig back through and, and cut the audio and put it all back together. If people would listen to it, if I knew if, if people were like, yeah, I would actually listen to that. I will take the time to do it. If I get a little bit of a, a nudge. Um, yeah. otherwise I'll probably just occasionally find a cut and mix it maybe into the intro or, or somewhere else in the show, you know, when it's appropriate. There's sometimes where it, the, the funny goofy stuff we've done doesn't necessarily fit in a place like that. But I think that's, the big part of our show, like just enjoying the, the time we're here. The the outfielder who stabbed, <laughs> stabbed. His, yes, the that the oyster burns is probably oyster my burns. my favorite uh, <laughs> moment. So uh, just to 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 break the fourth wall for for a minute, uh, for a lot of podcast awards, you know, you, you submit a clip if, if you would like to be nominated. You take your best submission or a series of submissions and uh, bring them to you know, the the 
body giving the awards. And uh, the Oyster Burns clip from last summer, it would have been now, that was the clip I, I sent in. And it wasn't because it was the best analysis or the, the absolute <laughs> best of the best rates and barrels, but it was, to me, I don't think I've ever actually laughed that hard while <laughs> technically working before, so I, it just stuck out to me as, as one of the, the best moments from the show. Uh, yeah. I guess from an analysis point, one that stands out for me was um, we both uh, took different approaches to finding the prospect of the week and we didn't share our prospects of the week with each other before or maybe you put it on the rundown but me being an idiot didn't look at the rundown and we both had the same prospect of the week abraham toro (laughs) (laughs) yeah you stole my guy like how we we didn't use the exact same query and yeah i did have the name in the outline and it was like on the second page you didn't you didn't get there so uh, Uh, that definitely taught me to to read the rundown more often (laughs) Not every time, just more often. More often, no. I mean, like this week, uh, I don't even know if we had a rundown. <laughs> we, we do. I mean, um, yeah, we, we, we have one. It's understandably different. Um, the, you almost having to eat a hat because of Chris Sale oh, and uh, the velocity increase last year. You were you were teetering on the brink of having to we do that. we were .2 off. We were talking about how I would actually eat the hat, like what sort of hat and how would I cook it? I think we're tough. I think deep frying is the winner. <laughs> deep frying, I think everybody agreed was probably your your best <laughs> chance of actually finding some enjoyment and having to to eat a hat. Just make but, it crunchy. Uh, <laughs> I think the 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 food that I compared it to was kale. Like if you were gonna make kale chips, you would just bake them in the oven at a high temperature and dry them out. And I thought that if, if the deep fryer wasn't an option, I thought uh Roasting at a very high temperature Ooh. was your your next best way to go. In retrospect, though, I think actually a combination of the two because one of the one of my favorite uh, things to do uh, over the coronavirus has been to cook more and to actually look at some recipes. And Kenji Alt Lopez has a recipe where you um, you boil the potatoes in basic water, so you put some baking soda in, and it, hmm. it makes the potatoes have a bit of a slurry around them. And then you bake them at a high temperature. And what you end up getting is a crunchy outside uh, with basically almost a liquid inside. And that is what you need. So you basically need to boil the hat first. (laughs) You need to boil the hat first and get it as, as just as wet and as, as just as, you know, as, you know, just reduce it to thread as much as possible. Uh, make that cardboard as as just as liquid as possible, and then bake it with um, some nice, like sort of bacon infused oil or something. Maybe just bacon fat. Yeah, bacon fat usually helps the the cooking process. So and I think close that your would... eyes and pretend you're eating bacon. Just really bad bacon. Worse than turkey <laughs> bacon, even. Turkey bacon is the worst. Oh, ow, 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 ow. See, we can't make Eno laugh too much because of his back. So he's <laughs> injuring himself while potting right now. Mm. Uh, yeah, your battle, Eno Battle San Diego is the the name of the episode where you were <laughs> at the winter meetings. We ran, we ran an hour and 20 minutes on that episode, too. So not only were you just feeling terrible, you know, we ran a solid 20 minutes longer than the typical episode length, too, on top of that. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that was like a night where I, the, the night before I had, um, I I'd, had done a, a beer crawl where we went to Half Door, Pure Project, and Modern Times, and then ended up at the hotel uh, talking to uh, executives until, you know, three in the morning, and then sort of flipped the laptop open at, you know, 10 in the morning. It was just like, <laughs> Wait, that, that was that the same night that you broke the Rick Porcello signing? Or was that just <laughs> yeah, later that trip? <laughs> I had a, it was funny too. I had a, um, I had a, ask me anything, an AMA on Reddit, um, maybe that week or the next week or something. And uh, one of the questions, and I was like near the end of the hour, so I don't think I actually answered it. I wish I did, but I saw it as I was closing up was, why don't, why don't you break any real news? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a question that's occurred to anybody who listens to this, but uh, I do have an answer that was different than the other answer because the first answer was, did you see he broke the Rick Porcello signing? <laughs> like yeah drunk at three in the morning uh no my uh my reasoning is actually that i don't i don't enjoy it i don't it's not it's not an enjoyable process for me uh the 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 times that i have actually broken news i've felt awful about the i don't know if it's the safety of the source but like I don't ever want to hurt someone's job because of something I've reported. Uh, maybe they deserve it or something. I don't, I don't know if that fully captures what I mean. But I just, if it's like just a piece of news, right? Like about a player movement or something. I don't find enough value in knowing that first that I would want to put someone in jeopardy in order to report it first. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. So... You know, every time I have done it, I've like checked back with these source like a million times about the wording of it and the timing of it and is it okay and blah blah blah. And the very first time I did one, um, I checked back a bunch of times, and then at some point, uh, my source didn't respond, so I went with it. And I didn't like I slept like two hours that night, being like, did I just burn a friend? Like, did I just? Like what happened? And then because I'd left the thing being like, is it okay? And like wake up in the morning and there's a text. Yeah, it's fine. I'm like, Oh my God. And it was like, it was the smallest friggin' thing. It was like contract details on a one year signing. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. In, in, in the scope of of baseball news. Yeah. That's, I don't know how Ken does it, man. I, I, you know, I, he just, uh, I guess he, he's just a veteran and he just, um, he's had these relationships for so long that everybody just knows that if they give him something, he'll break it. And that it's, you know, they're just, they, there's that presumption of that kind of arrangement, you know, but I don't yeah. think that I necessarily have that presumption of that kind of arrangement with the people I talk to. Um, I feel like I would rather always have an off the record conversation with everybody I talk to and then come back to them and say, Hey, is there any way I can use this? Yeah, and there's a chance they say no. Sure, sure. There have been things that I know that I can't report, but um, but uh, you know, one thing that is interesting that I'm I'm pulling a string on is that um, you know, without 
minor league baseball this year because whatever happens in major league baseball, there's not going to be minor league baseball. Without minor league baseball, there's going to be games, man. There's going to be games, and they're not going to be sanctioned by the by baseball. That's that came out of my piece today. I, I talked to uh, a minor leaguer about this, and they they were talking about how uh, you just have to weigh your desire to keep developing with the injury risk, and it becomes a personal uh, it becomes a personal decision. Uh, and you just know that baseball will not necessarily support you if you do get injured. So it's an even tougher decision. But if you feel like you are doing the right things in terms of arm care and body care and um, and and taking care of your body, um, it's probably better to play in terms of health in the end uh, than to take a full year off. I mean, just can't imagine what kind of uh, athleticism and baseball skills you might lose. Uh, if you take a full year off. Yeah, I've been wondering about this really uh, anytime I've thought about what the 2020 baseball season would look like from a roster construction standpoint. You and I have talked about taxi squads and some of the logistics involved with that. And I know that, that Baseball America had a report earlier this week that uh, extended fall leagues, both in Arizona and in Florida, are something that the league has discussed. So, you know, finding opportunities for players to log innings to pick up at bats to continue their development is something that's on the table but there is a matter of compensation with that that no one talks about either players don't get paid to play in the fall league yeah yeah it's a little bit like extended extended string training which is just as annoying um I can't believe that there's these like full leagues where they don't get paid at all uh, and they're sanctioned by MLB. It's just, you know, part of the whole ickiness. But um, there is this uh, stipend in my piece that comes out tomorrow um, with the CARES Act. Uh, you can actually have the $400 a week or a month. $400 a week? The stipend is 400 a week. You can have the $400 a week stipend and apply for unemployment. Uh, but that may run out um, July 31st. So uh, we tried to help minor leaguers know they have at least that, that help on top of it. Um, and, you know, the, the honest reality is for a large part of baseball has become kind of well-to-do uh, white kids that, that have support. Um, and that's that's just going to continue if this is what's going on. It's, it's actually kind of nice that baseball uh, announced the sort of 30% increase in salaries for minor leaguers next year. Um, as much as that is not enough. Um, but maybe there's some good that can come out of even the fewer minor league teams. Uh, maybe that means more money for the players, the minor league players. Maybe that can mean more diversity going forward because if you can actually make forty or fifty thousand dollars playing baseball in the minor leagues right off the bat, then maybe you'll have some other uh, players in colleges and high schools pick baseball. Um, because, for example, let's say you're a basketball player, you're basketball and baseball, you're pretty good at both. Um, you know, you're not sure you'd be drafted in the first two two rounds of the basketball draft. Um, but baseball seems like it pays really poorly. But let's say you don't necessarily want to go to Greece 
or you don't necessarily want to go to Israel, or you don't necessarily want to go to Russia to play basketball. Uh, maybe you'll, maybe there'll be like a concrete choice where you say, you know what, I can only make, you know, $40,000 playing basketball in Greece, or I can make $40,000 playing baseball in Texas where my family is. Um, so, you know, again, as, as crappy as I think is, it is to get rid of these, uh, minor league, um, teams, like maybe there's some good that can come out of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't want to depend on baseball owners to make the right decision. But No, no. I, I mean, I think that's where the, the continued efforts of the people who report on that, shedding more light on it, making it uh, something that people are more aware of, that will increase the pressure. I mean, the, the Nationals, the, the Nationals players, the Major League players, were going to cover the missing wages to the minor league players. They were going to cover it, and once word of that became public, ownership, the learners, changed course and said, "Oh no, we'll, we'll pay, we'll pay." Yeah, it, it took it took that for them to just do the bare minimum in that case. I'd argue the coverage helped some too. Uh, Britt Garoli and Emily Walden helped sort of shine a light on it, and then um, you know another thing that I would advocate for is uh, either including the minor leaguers in the major league union and making it just a you know, an all encompassing, uh, thing or, uh, creating a minor league union, uh, just to give them, um, some ability to, uh, negotiate. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that, that's, that seems necessary in the next CBA, like an automatic must have. The problem is that, you know, you have to give to get, and I don't think major league players, uh, as a on mass uh, want to give anything to get that, you know, they, they're focused more on, and I think maybe rightfully so. I mean, the, I think to me, the most crucial thing in the next CBA is the, the minimum salary. Um, if you look at it, nearly half of the league is on the minimum salary right now. So if you, if you want to say like, Oh, the average salary has increased or, Oh, look at Bryce Harper. He's making 330 million. The sport is healthy. 52% of the league is on the minimum salary. Oh, it's, uh, the elite players getting those massive contracts. They're still, they're outliers. Yeah. And I I think for, for a long time, for, for quite a while, I, I think the overwhelming, downside of of a lot of advanced analysis it kind of steered a lot of fans like me included um to to root for efficiency in the way the roster was built because initially i I kind of bought into the idea that there was uh, a limit on what teams could reasonably spend and they were close to it that's obviously not true but i think it like there's been this this kind of realization that Hey, you know, like not giving guys a bad contract isn't at all the same as paying everybody appropriately. That's the problem. People need to be paid appropriately. And I just think for the very beginning for some people, and again, I I was included in this group, it was like, oh, okay, they just they need to be more efficient because I guess this is where the ceiling is. Clearly, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, you can kind of sense within the this one episode, the kind of fracturing that can happen and be like, where do I, where do I pay attention? Where do I, you know, where do I 
give my emotion and my support. Um, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it it's... seems like there's a million and one things that need to be fixed. It's It's taking the situations that you can work on and working on them and and just not ignoring them and not being distracted not casting them aside and not leaving them for someone else to solve but at at the other end it is a balance you 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 and i cannot individually solve every problem that we are made aware of we can do our best to solve as many of them as we're capable of solving but there's a there's a certain reality to this that i think everybody is is going to have to find and like you know, uh, just I guess in in some sort of sum up, like our door is open. If you want to be a part of that uh, group that's going to help mentor and uh, promote diversity in in sports writing, please let us know. Um, if you want to be the beneficiary of that, please let us know. If you would like one of us to to help you mentor to help mentor you, please let us know. If um, if you have a uh, a cause let us know if you have a fantasy baseball question uh let us know i i anticipate that uh over the next coming weeks we'll we'll get you know to more of a baseball uh themed show but um let's not leave this all behind like if you want to start a conversation about something um uh, please do at, at rates and barrels at at the athletic.com uh, my athletic.com email uh, is in uh, my bio on twitter and i'm uh I've never blocked a person, so even even some of these people we've discussed on this, like you know, we've continued the conversation. So hit me up uh, wherever I can I can help. Yeah, I'm at Derek Van Riper on Twitter, D Van Riper at theathletic.com because I don't think it's currently my profile. But uh, again, happy to help in, in any way that we can, and always uh, interested in uh, feedback as well. So feel free to reach out if that's uh, what you'd like to do. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Stay safe. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.